Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Who is like the Lord our God? That's a question that's tucked right in the middle of Psalm 113, verse 5. The psalmist says, who is like the Lord our God? There was a moment in the life of Jesus when it was a a hard moment for him. He had just received the, the news that his friend and his relative, John the Baptist, had been murdered. And it was a, um, lost his life to some power people, having a, uh, a drunk king and a party going on, and his friend is gone. And as he's processing the news, Scripture tells us there in, in uh, Matthew chapter 14, Verse 13, it says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. So Jesus pulls aside, and we can only imagine he's processing his sorrow, but he's also looking ahead to what he knows is coming his way, which is his impending death and the suffering that that he will experience on the cross for us. He's processing this, but how does he do it? And isn't it interesting, he steps away to be by himself. Scripture tells us, Luke chapter 5, verse 16, that he often withdrew to solitary places to pray, to talk to the Father, and just to pour out his heart to the Father. Who is like the Lord our God? And what happens next in this moment fills us with, fills my heart with admiration for our Lord, but also gives us a clue as we seek to live out our own life mission, um, how to carry on when times are hard or how to continue to do the good that God's called us to. Matthew chapter 14, second part of verse 13, it says, hearing this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and he saw the crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed the sick. And in this moment, here we see Jesus processing his own pain but what's he do? And God says it, or the scripture tells us, compassion filled his heart, and he got busy doing good, healing the sick. One of the questions that, that this raises is, how do we do the good that God's called us to do when life is hard? When we're going through our own brokenness, our own pain, how do we carry on? How, what is it that sustains us as we set out to, to do the good God's called us to do. And here in the life of Christ, we see an example, a pattern. He's dwelling with God. He's dwelling with his Father. Not only does, does this moment encourage us to do this, but the teaching of Jesus calls us to this as well. In John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus is talking to his followers, and he says, I am the vine, you're the branches. Remain in me or abide in me or dwell with me. Um, live in my presence. Apart from me, you can do nothing, but with me you will bear much fruit. And then there's another moment in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, that we see the connection. It says, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. So this is the, our one thing pursuit, right? Dwelling in his presence, living to praise his name, and just being with him. But watch what happens. Immediately, 
it says, and do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. And so the big idea of the day is this, dwelling in God's presence, living the life of of worship and praise that he's called us to, dwelling is what mobilizes our doing. God's called us all to, to do good. To, uh, to follow him into a life of service. But how do we do it when it gets hard? And here it is. Dwelling leads to doing. Dwelling is what mobilizes our doing. And so what we're going to do in the next few moments is we're going to dwell. And I'm excited about, we're, we're, we're not just going to talk about, this is something that we can do in as you set out to do your daily meeting, your weekly Sabbath, annual retreat, we dwell. But right here in Together, we're going to dwell through God's Word in Psalm 113. And so if you would join me there, we talked a couple weeks ago about each month we're going to take a psalm and a song from Scripture and we're going to soundtrack it. So we're going to just play it throughout our days um, during your chair time. It's the song you want, to, you want to go over so that hopefully by the end of the month it's just one of, it's part of your thinking. And you can go back to it and remember it. It becomes precious to us. Psalm 113 is the song, our song for October, all right? So this is our, our soundtrack that we'll be rolling through in October. But Psalm 113, verse 1, it opens with a shout. It says, uh, verse 1, praise the Lord. This is the, it opens with a shout. It ends with a shout. And in Hebrew, it's just one word, hallelujah. But it's, this is our primary vocation as, as followers of Christ, right? It's, it's to worship. And here he's, God is inviting us into his presence, into this life of praise. Praise the Lord. And then he looks at us and says, praise the Lord, you his servants. That's us and those of us who, who, uh, who know him. It says, praise the, the name of the Lord. So the name represents all that God is. When someone says your name, they call you, it's your identity. But when we talk about praising the name of the Lord, and as we're called to that here, it's every attribute that, that makes God who he is, that, that leads to what he's done. And we're to think about that and then celebrate that. And you think about, take an attribute of God. That attribute is, goes into that cloud of infinite perfection. Like what we know of, of say, um, we take an at, God's attribute of joy. He's the most joyful being in the universe. Yet his joy is unlike any other joy that, that we know down here. His joy is perfect. It's infinite. Splendid. Take, take a, um, whatever other attribute. Praise is our fitting response to his infinite perfection. Take his providential care where he promises, I, I will care for those who put their trust in me. What kind of care does God give us? Infinitely perfect. Take his creative power as we look out and see his creation. And What kind of creative power does God have? It's limitless in its perfection to think that he's preparing a place for us. He said, I'm going to prepare a place perfect in ways that we cannot even imagine. Who is like the Lord our God? And here he's calling us into a life of praise. He goes on. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore. So it's the dimension of, of time. From this moment into every other moment, fill those moments with praise. And then he goes into the, the dimension of space. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. So a figurative way of saying every place 
that exist. All of space, all of time and space deserves to be filled with praise. God deserves that, that space and time to be filled with praise to him. Now, as we answer this call that God gives us to, to enter the life of praise, there's a shift that happens in our soul that, that I, each Sunday I, I feel it happening in chair time or meeting with God. I, I feel it happening, and I'm sure you do, but it's that transition from living for my glory and the, the greatness of my name, stepping out of that insanity into the sanity of living for the glory of his name alone, living preoccupied with, with his glory, forgetting about self and fixing our eyes on him. As kids, I was thinking, you know, it's, and it's appropriate as kids where we grow up physically, and what, what do we say when we're little? Watch me, right? Watch me. Watch me, but what do we do as we grow spiritually into maturity? Watch him. <laughs> Watch him. Watch him, because all that I am is a reflection of his greatness and his goodness. I love the uh, way Scott Saul said it in a tweet this week. He said, the quest to achieve greatness and glory for oneself is a road that leads to nowhere. It's a goose chase with no goose, a frenetic race to the end of the rainbow, only to discover at the rainbow's end that there never was and never will be a pot of gold waiting for you there. We are most satisfied when we are living to bring him praise and glory, right? And if you've felt that, the quickest route to depression and discouragement and frustration is trying to make much of our name. The quickest route to joy is when we step into this call to praise and say, God, I'm here just to, I want to praise your name, live for your glory. On Friday evening, one of our brothers in Christ, Bob Leonardson, took his last breath here and entered the presence of the Lord. And Bob, if you knew him, lived a life of, of worship, loved the Lord with all his heart, had a growing love for the Lord, and his, the love of God was flowing through Bob to us. And as I look out, I see flannel shirts, and I keep thinking of Bob. He, uh, in fact, Deb mentioned that, that um, Bob had requested Tyson preach his funeral in, a, in overalls and a flannel shirt. That's how Bob dressed. And, uh, and so Tuesday from 2 to 6, we'll be gathering to celebrate his life and viewing 2 to 6, and then at 6 o'clock a service. But we're going to be wearing flannel. And think about Bob near the end of his life, it was as if God was giving him a wind-in-his-sails kick to live for the, for the glory of God and to pour out the love of God. And after the first service in this One Thing series, Bob came up to, uh, to me and said, John, we were talking about one thing, being the, the presence of God being the treasure of life, and I used our dog Riley as an illustration, and he said, John, this is it. He is the treasure. And he said, your illustration of the dog, that's, God's been using that in my own life through my dog. And he said, I wrote a, I've been, he's been recording his life for his kids. And one of the chapters is what God is teaching me through my dog, my dogs. And I said, well, Bob, would you send it to me? And he sent it. And I would like to share a little bit of that with you today. He, uh, he named his dog Cat. K-A-T, which I think goes with Bob's, uh, that poor dog getting called cat all the time. But the, uh, he writes this, every man worships something. 
It might be a person, a place, or a thing, an institution, a philosophy, or an ideology. It might be a religion or a religious leader, a political party, or even patriotism, a wife, a child, or a pet. There, there is no end to the things that we can worship. For sure, though, every man will worship something. According to Scripture, God's Word, I was created to worship no one nor anything other than God. But how am I effectively and realistically able to do this? Is it beyond my reach? God declares in His Word that He wants me to worship Him alone, but what does it look like to do so? For the last many weeks, God has been teaching me through a dog what true and effective worship of Him looks like. God spoke to Balaam through the mouth of a donkey. He has spoken to me through my dog. And you can reference Numbers 22 if you'd like to read that story. But Bob writes this, Cat, his dog, follows me absolutely everywhere I go. It doesn't matter where I go, she is determined to follow me. I cannot even go to the bathroom without her tagging along. Do I like to tag along with God wherever he's going? Do I follow him without reservation, even to those places I would never dream otherwise going? I effectively worship God when I go with him, no matter where he is going, even when I have, even when I have no idea of where that might be. Cat, Cat does not like to go with me when I go about my outdoor work. She balks when I call her to come. But she comes to me and stays with me for no other reason than that she loves to be with me. God is working. He also has work for me to do, as he does all his children. Do I balk when God calls me to come along, or do I willingly go with my master wherever he is working? I effectively worship God when I go where he leads me, when I do what he asks me to do without reservation. Cat depends on me for everything. She is quick to ask me for more, but she also takes what she gets with gratitude and does not complain that she did not get more. God has always taken care of my needs, just as he promised he would. Do I show gratitude for his taking care of me? I effectively worship God when I am grateful for his taking care of me without complaint and with total satisfaction. Cat meets me at the door when I come home. When, when I return from wherever I've been, she lavishes me with affection. She dances and she leaps for joy. Am I genuinely glad to spend time with God? Or do I go to him out of a sense of duty? Am I glad when he comes to me? Do I smother him with affection? I effectively worship God when I shamelessly, with all my heart, meet him at the door of his throne room, one-on-one. Cat loves to lay next to me, to curl up with me, even when she falls asleep next to me. Her sleep is one of deep contentedness. Do I love to just curl up with Jesus, to rest in him and with him? Do I find total contentment in him when I do? The kind of contentment that I can find in no other person, place, or thing. I effectively worship God when I just want to curl up with him. And rest in his deep, deep love. Now that's contentment. Scripture speaks of our death. Those of us who are trusting Christ as our Savior is falling asleep. And on Friday evening, Bob fell asleep in the arms of his Savior. And he woke up to a morning unlike any morning that he's experienced. 
these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Because faith will give way to sight. Hope will give way to reality. But love, we're going to bask in that for eternity. And here's the great thing. It can start today. As we enter the presence of our God, receive his love, Give love back to him. That's praise. It's the life that he's called us into. But the question comes, okay, how do I, how does this life of praise translate into doing good and mobilize us to do good? And that's what we see in the, the next few verses here. Powerful picture. He says he transitions from this call to praise to, to actually dwelling in God's presence or helping us see his greatness. And verse 4, he says, the Lord is enthroned over all the nations. So as we dwell in God's presence, we get a glimpse of his greatness. And here he starts by saying, okay, as you think about the greatness here on earth, the nations, and who comes to your mind when you think of a nation? Russia, China, U.S., all these nations and all this conflict and all these people who seem so big and these problems who seem so big, where is God? He is, in, he is exalted over all the nations. Isn't that awesome? His glory is above the heavens. Now, when he says heavens, what's he talking about? The universe that we can see, the stars. We're still trying to get to the end of where the stars, where they end. The Hubble's going that way. If it ever gets there, what will be beyond the stars? What's beyond the stars? It tells us right here. His glory is above the the heavens. What will we see when we get to the end of the stars? The glory of God. And then he asked that rhetorical question that we ask of those we love. Who is like the Lord our God? You know, as you think about the people that you love in your life, your wife, your husband, your kids, your parents, your a friend, whatever it may be, you know when you say, like, who is like this person? Who's like you? <laughs> I think of my wife. Who is like Tam? No one. She's a one of a kind. She's unique. Who is like the Lord our God? No one. And then we see his greatness as he says, the one who sits enthroned on high. Here God is reminding us that he is sovereign over all. He is enthroned. He is king. He is in charge. He is in control. His power is limitless. And is every attribute infinite in its perfection? So what, even as we dwell in his greatness right now, do you feel what's happening in your soul as you, as you look up and get a glimpse of his greatness? What happens to us as his followers? It's confidence. Where is fear in the presence of his greatness? As we dwell in his greatness and just see the glory of who he is, we gain confidence to go do what he's called us to do, even when we wonder, I'm not sure how this is going to get done, but if you've called me to do it, God, I'm in. The day that Jesus heals the sick, after he had heard about John the Baptist, that, that moment transitions into another moment where it gets late in the day, and his disciples come up to him, and you can read it, read it in Matthew, but the disciples say, hey, we've got a problem, Jesus, and they command him to do something. Do you remember what they tell him to do? And it's never a good idea to command God to do um, what we want him to do. They say, send the people away. Why? 
because it's getting late in the day and there's nothing to eat. We're going to have a, approximately 15,000 people when you can't count everybody who, who are going to be hungry. And you remember what Jesus says. Don't send them away. You feed them. That creates the... T- what? Us? How are we going to feed... And remember what they say? Here's what we've got. Five loaves of bread and two fish. How are we going to feed them with this? And what's Jesus say? He gives them a glimpse of his greatness. He says, take your little lunch and put it in my hands. And then what, what happens? Scripture tells us he blesses it, breaks it, and feeds the 5,000 plus, and there's 12 baskets left over. And what do each one of those baskets remind the disciples? When we put our little into his hands, he can feed many. I love the way Warren Wiersbe describes ministry. Ministry is doing the good that God calls us to do. Ministry is divine resources flowing through loving channels to meet human needs for the glory of God. Do you see that the, if we are trying to do the good that God calls us to do in our own strength, relying only on our own resources, what are we going to do? We're going to quit. We're going to send them away. We can't feed all these people. But what happens when we dwell in the presence of God? We get a glimpse of His greatness. We bring our little lunch. We put it into His big hands. And we say, okay, God, I don't know how this good's going to get done. But here it is. And then He does what He does, right? He makes much out of little. We're not the manufacturers. We're the distributors of his goodness and his grace. Isn't that awesome? But how do we keep from giving way to fear or discouragement or stepping away from the ministry that God's called us to? We dwell in his presence. So as we get a glimpse of his greatness, fills us with confidence to do the good he's called us to do. But it's about to get better as we read on in this text. Not only do we get a glimpse of his our God's greatness as we dwell, we get a glimpse of his goodness. Check this out in verse, rolling on down through, uh, verse, or actually verse 5 says, Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high? And then here it comes. Who stoops down to look on, to look on the heavens and the earth. Here he's saying, not only is God great, but watch this. And the king stoops down, meaning he interacts with his creation, and he reaches down to do what? And as we read the rest of this text, he raises the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the ash heap. So we think about the attempting to measure the gap between the greatness of God to where he stoops in meeting our needs and Scripture, one theologian said, if you could summarize all of Scripture with the word, it would be condescension, where the God of of greatness stoops down into our mess. And I love the graphic picture that he paints here. He he, uh, lifts, raises the poor from the dust. And this is that idea, when you think about poor, it's not like don't have a lot of money. It's like no money, spiritually poor. Spiritually poor, meaning we have nothing of value to offer God, but also Financially poor, uh, physically poor, we can't keep ourselves alive on our own. Socially poor, uh, emotionally poor, pick your, whatever it may be, we are completely impoverished apart from the grace and goodness of God. 
And yet, he, what's he do? He raises the poor from the dust. Remember, dust to dust. We were create, created out of dust. We will end up in dust. What is our only hope? It's the goodness and grace of God coming down and lifting us up. That's our story, isn't it? And then he goes even more graphic with this next picture as he lifts the, says, and he's the one who lifts the needy from the ash heap. The ash heap is, when he says that, if you were a first, or a, a reader of Hebrew reading this, in that day, you would have a stench that would just fill your, your nose because the ash heap is literally like the, the pile of trash outside the city walls where you would put human waste, animal waste, and all things de- decomposing. It would often burn a little bit just from the de- decomposition. And you, if you were a king or royalty or anyone important, you did not come into the city by the ash heap. You would pick another gate. The, the ash heap, there would be lepers and those who are not allowed in society because of, of um, their diseases and what have you. Who is like the Lord our God? He comes down into the mess, the stench of our guilt, of our sin, our shame, all the things that we've done to hurt him, offend him, the stuff that is repulsive, our brokenness, the things that we would be ashamed if anyone else knew about us, and he picks us up in his goodness and his grace and holds us. But it gets better. Not only does he lift us up out of our brokenness, it says, verse 8, he seats them with princes and with the princes of his people, and he settles the childless woman as a happy mother of children in her home. Praise the Lord. This is a picture of honor and respect. This culture was an honor-respect, honor-shame culture. To be a prince is to be given the greatest of honor. To be a mom was, was to be given great honor. This is our God. How good is our God? Not only does he pick us up out of our shame and our guilt, rescue us, from our sin through what Christ did for us on the cross. But he lifts us up to be his kids, to give us a position of royalty. I think of the prodigal son coming home saying, I'll just be a slave in your house. And he goes, no, you're going to be my son. You're going to have a place at the table. And he says, bring the best robe, put a ring on his finger, give him shoes, and we're going to celebrate. My son has come home. This is the goodness of our God. Now, what happens as we let this settle in, and, and again, we're dwelling for just a moment or two here this morning. I encourage you, take this psalm and dwell with God in his greatness and goodness on your own throughout this week, chair time and Sabbath. And what will happen? As we see his greatness, not only does our soul fill up with confidence to, to do the good he's called us to do, it ignites with compassion to imitate him. It does. It's like... When you start thinking about his goodness to come down and lift me up out of the ash heap and then call me a son and daughter, it's like, who can I lift? Lord, who in my life is face down in poverty of some kind, whether it be emotional poverty, spiritual poverty, financial poverty, relational poverty, who's getting lit up by the enemy, doesn't have hope, who's face down and can't get up, and I can use my little bit of strength to come alongside and pick them up today. Somebody in my life, a work, school, church, who is it? And we get lit up to go be Christ to somebody. Where? It's as we dwell. As we dwell in His presence, see His greatness, see His goodness, it ignites compassion in our soul to do something, doesn't it? 
If you felt that and are you feeling it right now, and I ask you right now, who's coming to your mind? Who's the person in your life that right now maybe God's putting on your heart like, I'm going to go lift them up this week. I don't know how, what, but I'm going to show up and bless them. Show up with the word of hope. Or maybe just show up and be silent. Maybe show up with some money. Maybe show up with an ability that I have that I know they need. Maybe it's a ministry here at church. And I love the way the compassion of our Lord is flowing through our church family. Look at the Drakowskis. And we just hosted the uh, family promise. Three families trying to get back on their feet. And a number of you fixed meals. Matt spent the night. Jen organizing the team. Who does that? It's people who are dwelling in the presence of God, getting lit up with His compassion, hungry to share that with those around us. I was with Mike and Fran Templeton on Friday afternoon, and Mike started sharing the, the parade of people coming through his hospital room, just lifting that guy up. And Fran, it, it was the people who were working there. Tim Howard didn't, isn't even on his, uh, you know, not on his list, but he swings by to check on him. Uh, Clayton and Lindsay Edwards work at IUS. They were dropping by Laura Johnson. And then a small group, Bob McLaughlin, just showing up to encourage him. Person after person. It's happening. But here's the, the igniting vision, you guys. What might happen this year if we commit as a team? We're going to commit to dwell in the presence of the Lord through our daily meeting, weekly Sabbath, annual retreat, Look at his greatness, look at his goodness, and let him fill us up with confidence and compassion to go do the good that he's called us to. What might happen? Redemption. It will. Restoration. Healing. Brokenness. Relationships being put back together. Lives. Hope is going to be lit up. It's going to happen. But it happens as we dwell. Dwelling mobilizes are doing who is like the Lord our God <laughs> no one do you know him if you don't know him today the invitation his invitation is open to be reconciled to him the way we do that is not by our good works but it's by trusting the good work of Christ on our behalf when he died on the cross Jesus said whoever believes in me will receive life and if you haven't trusted Christ, I invite you to receive him as your Savior and your Lord. And yes, what you will be guaranteed is eternity, and death is no longer something to fear, but it's a doorway to life. But here's the thing. The most important question is not, where will you go when you die? I mean, that's one. death is just one moment in our existence. The most important question is this. Where will you go as you live? Are you going to go with him? Or try to keep life going on on your own strength and power, which is futility. And Jesus says, come follow me into life at its best. And if you do know Christ as your Savior, the question for you today is, are you dwelling with him? Are you dwelling? I met a couple who is just checking out our church for the uh, second time this week. And like, hey, what's your church like? And said, well sum it up. If I could had to sum it up in just one word, it'd be follow Jesus, or one phrase, follow Jesus into a life of love for the glory of God. But what's he call us to? That life of love, it's sacrificial service, taking up a cross. How do we do the good that Jesus will lead us into our cross moments when it gets hard? 
when it means sacrifice, laying down my wishes, my wants, my desires for those around me, when it's all uphill, when there's wind in my face and I feel like quitting, my legs are getting heavy, my heart is getting weary, how do we keep on? How do we sustain? Here it is, you guys. It's one thing, right? We dwell, dwell, dwell. Because as we dwell in his presence, like Jesus, just stepping aside to a solitary place, we get a glimpse of his greatness, fills us with confidence, a glimpse of his goodness, ignites compassion, and we're lit up to go follow him into a life of love. So this week as I was studying Psalm 113, I learned something about it that just rocked me. In the Hebrew culture, they would celebrate Passover, and what, were, what was Jesus and his followers doing the night that, that he went out to the cross? It was Passover. And Passover was when they, they, God protected the people of Israel as they were escaping Egypt, where the angel of death came through, and they put the blood of a lamb around the doorframe, and the angel passed over. It was foreshadowing Jesus as the Lamb of God. His blood would cover our shame, our guilt, and be our only hope. But on that night that he was meeting with his disciples, they were celebrating Passover. Passover, there were four cups of of communion, you could say, that they took. And with each cup, they would sing songs. Guess what song they sang after the fourth cup? And this is when the scripture tells us they went went out into the night singing. They were singing... Psalm 113. This was their liturgy. And as I see our Lord, the one who is going, the king who has stepped down from his throne, going to to battle for us, as he was facing his darkest moment, as he was looking into the fires of hell, looking into the forces of the enemy, and with a heart full of love for you and for me, about to lay down his life, what sustained him? song. He was dwelling. And as I think about this song, he's, okay, you've got, you think about that night and think about walking out into that kind of darkness. He turned that darkness into a moment of praise. What is our weapon as we do life? The weapon that will sustain us as we go through the the darkness down here, it's a song. It's one thing to walk in the steps of Jesus in Israel. It's so much greater to sing the words that our Lord sang, the inspired words of Scripture, Psalm 113, and that just lights me up to fill the night with a hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. For He is great and He is good. Isn't that awesome? So, here's a song. This song, it's a secular song. It's To Fix You by Coldplay, but I'll talk through it. And as you hear it, we'll go ahead and roll it. Think about the... uh, As I hear this, I I hear our Lord singing to us. I tweak a word. It says, I'll try to fix you. I put a big X around that. When the Lord comes to fix us, he doesn't try to fix us. He does fix us. But, But there's something more. As we hear this picture of darkness, night, and really you feel even in the music, the brokenness. Try your best, you don't succeed. When you get what you want. But not what you need. Get what you want, not what you need. We when feel you that. Feel so 
tired, but you can't sleep. Stuck in river. The weariness of life, you feel like you're just stuck in reverse. And the tears come streaming tears. down your face. We do weep. It hurts. When you Brokenness. When you love someone, but it goes to waste, could it be worse? Could it be worse? Moments of life. Lights will guide you home. Lights will guide you home. Ignite your bones. What's the light? What's the light? It's the Word of God. What's the light? Jesus Christ. Hope of the world. What's our hope for the fix? It's Him. I love this. In a moment, He's going to start running toward lights. But if you never try, You see these lights, see the Lord, His Word out before us, His promises, the lights we hold on to. running but who else is running his body that's us running towards the need this is going to open up into a stadium full of people representing the darkness people hurting brokenness tears falling but he'll take a light right here and this light is the light of the gospel hope in jesus christ this is our life and we let it fly here we go songs of hope you guys what is the hope of the world? It's Jesus Christ. Tears falling, but there's hope. But who's going to bring the hope? It's you, it's me. I love this picture. We sing, we turn the battlefield, the dark night, into a song of praise, right? Tears streaming, yep. We're singing. Singing what? Songs of hope. Christ came not to try to fix us he has and now he's calling us to take the light to go 
share it with those around us. Amen? It'll ignite your bones today and through eternity. Amen? Are you in? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this gift, this call to praise, to call us out of the insanity of making much of our name, to step into the sweet sanity of living for your glory, Lord, and in your presence, even in these moments, Father, we see your greatness, we see your goodness, and it fills us up with the passion to go love somebody, to go lift somebody today. So as we leave, Lord, and as we leave, walk out of this place, we do so with hearts full of love for you, but also love for others. Father, I thank you for Bob's example to us, and just seeing him through the final month and even days of his life turning his hospital bed into a place of praise. Lord, I pray comfort and healing over his family and everyone else here today whose tears are streaming. But Lord, I thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. Lord, use us for your glory. Empower us to be your presence here in Danville. We pray that this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.